This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Neil Wallace-Bruce, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Corbett Durant, otherwise known as Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. Doing fantastic. Excellent. And we have a very special guest today. So, it's not often we have a former major league pitcher on our, in our midst, but that's what we have today. It is the one and only Pat Mahomes Sr. He's also the host of the Big Mahomes Show, which you can find on the Ebony podcast network so pat how are you doing i'm doing just great how are y'all doing up there we're good it's cold up here but we're staying warm we're staying warm in in the great white north yeah for december it's not too bad well it's actually it's, it's actually crazy here you know the weather's nice i think it's about 81 degrees right now and it's, <laughs> you know it's december so uh, i don't know what's going on down there <laughs> yeah you can't complain but so you never know with Texas. One day it could be in the eighties, and then the next day it could be snowing again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Pat, before we get into it, tell us a little. Tell our listeners about the the Big Mahomes show that you started recently. Well, you know, uh, actually, uh, Edge Sports Management uh, got me in contact with some people, and it was ideal where you know I wanted to uh, talk sports and. Uh, and 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 give my my point of view of certain things. You know, I was a multi-sport athlete in high school, and uh, actually signed to go to college to play basketball. So, anytime you know that I'm able to talk sports is always a good day for me. And uh, you know, Walmart is the premier sponsor, and uh, we're on all platforms. You know, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google, and iHeart. And my shows drop every Friday. Um, I actually just uh, did a show with uh, Turk Wendell, a former major league pitcher, you know, pitch with the Mets, Cubs, and Braves, uh, to name a few. And uh, I have a lot of great guests lined up, and we're just going to talk sports. There we go. And we're going to talk sports right now. So, Pat, we're recording on December 4th, 2021. And it's pretty much day two of the the new MLB lockout for 2021. As someone who played during the the lockout of 94 and 95, how does this compare? And what was it like for you when you went through the the lockout in 94? Well, it was pretty uh, disheartening. You know, for me, I actually was having my best season as a, as a starter, actually. I was... Uh, I think I was 9 and, nine and 5 uh, when we went on strike, had a chance to win, you know, 15 or so ball games with, you know, 12 more starts and uh, felt like I had finally figured it out. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's no more baseball. So, you know, anytime you get into labor disputes and you're trying to 
you know, doing do a new collective bargaining agreement, it's always going to be tough. And uh, all you can hope is that, you know, one thing, you know, the, the sides agree and uh, this thing gets over as quick as possible. No doubt about it, because right now the players, free agents can't sign with the teams. Players can't go to the facility if they're rehabbing or if they're trying to train. This causes all sorts of complications. So I guess it's another red mark against Commissioner Rob Manfred because he's, he's, had, his, he's had his moments. Um, I, I got to ask, as a pitcher, what did you make of the rule change in season where the umpires were coming out to check for substances on pitches? Well, it's, I mean, I thought it was a little unnecessary. I mean, anytime you're playing a game of baseball, everybody's going to try to find an advantage. Uh, the hitters are bigger. The hitters are stronger. You know, every year they're they're coming up with something different. So, for us pitchers, you know, you try to, you know, get the, the best advantage you can as a pitcher. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's all on Manfred. I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's one way or the other. You know, of course, I'm pro player because I was a player, but, it's just a, a deal where you, you, you make an agreement and you have a contract. When that contract ends, you have to make tough negotiations. And you just hope that both sides are going to be, you know, big enough to, you know, come to agreement, which is best for the players and the owners. For sure. Yeah. Speaking of looking to get an advantage, what's your take on what happened with the Houston Astros? Uh, well, I'm not too big of a fan of that. You know, uh, you know, banging on trash cans and all that stuff, you know, that's a little overboard, but there's always going to be stealing of signs. I mean, most of the time when I played, it was done with the, you know, the hitters, you know, at second base and, and looking in and, you know, leading with the right foot, you know, if, if the pitch was going to be inside to a righty or leading with the left foot, I mean, if it was going to be outside, you know, it's always going to be little gadgets and gadgets that you do to try to, to uh, help the hitter, you know, have a better chance to hit. And the funny thing about it is some hitters don't really like it, but when you start using other means that have nothing to do with baseball, that's kind of a red flag for me. Understandable, for sure, especially having been someone who played the game. And now having played multiple organizations, both as a starter and reliever, which did you actually prefer? Uh, I actually like relief. Uh, I like being, I like having a chance to go to the ballpark and to pitch every day instead of, you know, once every fifth day. Uh, I really wouldn't like it the way it is now where the starters go out there and pitch four or five innings and then they're done. I mean, that to me, uh, is a travesty. I mean, when we came up, the starters felt like that if you got the, you got the ball every fifth day, that was your day. And that was your day to go out there and shine and do the, you know, show everybody, you know, how you could pitch or whatever. But uh, me, I was a reliever at heart. I wanted to be there in the action when the game was on the line and to come in there and, and, and go, you know, as they say, balls to the walls for inning or two innings or three innings or whatever it took. But knowing that I could use my best stuff and I didn't have to save anything for the next time around the lineup. And was your conditioning for that different? Uh, not really. Um, I was fortunate enough to be blessed with the man upstairs blessed me with a, what they call as a rubber arm where I was able to pitch multiple days without soreness, without stiffness. So as far as a starter, you know, yeah, you got to get your, your poles in, your running in and your conditioning. But as a reliever, like I said, it's 
it's one or two innings where you're just going, you know, going at it for, you know, six outs, seven outs or whatever it, it may take. And uh, you're giving it the best you got. Awesome. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I'm not going to lie. I know. Would you say that baseball has become more of a hitting game? It's like kind of favoring the hitters nowadays? I think baseball has come became more of a analytics game. It's a lot of people, you know, involved that have never played the game of baseball, but they're good with computers and they're good with numbers. And I don't think the managers have to do as much. You know, you're pretty much getting your lineup sent down to you from upstairs. Um, whereas back in the day, you know, you, you walked into that locker room and you looked at a guy's eyes and you can tell if he was ready to play that day and you went by, went with your gut and what you saw in the locker room and how people were preparing to play the game that day. So so staying with that, what do you think of, let's say, analytics guys say, you know, start this guy on maybe four or five days rest, but you looking in the pitcher's eyes and you can see he's ready to go and the, the, the lineup that he's going up against suits him. What are your thoughts on just going with your gut and just playing that pitcher? Well, I, I, I like that part of the game. You know, that's the part of the game that I always fell in love with, um, knowing that you looked at a guy and you knew that he was ready to go that day, that you had a, a, a good chance to win that ball game instead of worrying about what the paper says because that guy, you know, he may not be feeling well that day. And um, and then you, but you're saying, okay, well, he's had this kind of success against this team and and this is the guy we need to pitch where he might not be ready to go. Yeah, because look, I say that because I'm a Yankee fan. Don't hold it against me. I know you play for Boston <laughs> and the Mets, but um, I know they, they do a lot of analytics. And as a fan, it's like sometimes you want to see certain guys out there, but the analytics say a different story. So I guess... Yeah, sometimes I like to see more of those gut decisions. I know there's some managers out there. Dusty Baker was one during the, the this season who who would go with his gut from time to time. So I I personally would like to see more of that for sure. Well, I mean that's really old school baseball, you know. Um, now, like I said, it's your lineup is pretty pretty much sent down to you, and uh, you have to pretty much do what they say instead of watching the game and filling the game out and having a feel for what you what you think should happen there, you have to do uh, this guy, this situation happened, this is who we're going to bring in instead of going with your gut and what you've seen with your own eyes. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the game is changing a little bit. We don't know what it's going to look like until the CBA is eventually signed and completed, but do you think it'll be a good idea to see a universal designated hitter or would you like to see pitches back? I know you had a, I remember you had a famous moment in the playoffs where you, I believe you hit a, a winning hit. You made a winning hit. Well, I was a guy that, you know, liked to play the whole game. You know, I could hit a little bit, so it's a little different. Um, I think whatever they, they do do, they should do it for both sides. It shouldn't be one side gets to do this, one side gets to do that. But if it was me and if I was a pitcher, I would love to hit. But, I mean, I also understand that if you have a DH and have uh, guys they can play longer, you know, that maybe they can't field it like they used to or or can't run like they used to, but they can still hit the baseball. I mean, I know it keeps them around a lot longer. No doubt about it. And guys like Shohei Otani, they're, they're one in a million, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's the guy that's that's pretty much changed the game now. A uh, guy that can, you know, hit you 40 home runs and also go out and win you, you know, 15 to 20 ball games. I mean, that's always a plus anywhere. 100%. Yeah, and you had mentioned how it, you felt like maybe it's become more of a, a hitter's game and the designated hitter designation, it, that adds to that, right? It's just more appealing if you want to keep the scores high. Something I was looking at as far as your career is concerned, Pat, is – and you paid, played both American League, National League. Was there a preference there? Uh, National League, definitely. Um, I think it's – like I said, you get to play the whole game. and Like I said, pitchers get to hit. And um, whereas American League, I think it's more uh, stationary. Um, you know, you, you try to get walks, you try to get hits, and you wait for the, the three-run homer where it's – and the uh, National League, you know, you got double switches. Uh, you got guys stealing, the guys bunting a little more, which you don't hardly ever see anybody bunt anymore. But back when I played, you know, that was to me more like playing the whole complete game. Yeah, you're more my generation, to be entirely honest with you. I mean, you know, we're from Toronto. I'm a Jays fan. The first lockout, it, it hurt us bad because we lost the Expos really as a result of that. And that was another team that I – I love to a certain degree, even though I am a Jays fan, and I feel the game's changed a lot. I mean, he said it hasn't has changed a bit, but I think it's changed a lot since then. The lockout can only hurt it, depending on how long this goes for. MLB has lost a major market share to both NBA and even it lost a little more, I think, as well to the NFL, though it was number one at the time. Where do you see it going from here, depending on the lockout? Well, it could get messy. You know, we could have a you know situation like we did in '94, where, where people stopped coming to the ballpark because, no matter what uh, negotiations are, the fans are saying, and there's a lot of you know guys playing a game that make a lot of money that are arguing with owners who make even more money. So you know, when you're a casual fan and and you scrap and you're scrapping your money to go to be able to go watch these guys play, and then they're getting paid all this money and they can't agree on pretty simple things, then it's always a eyesore for the fans. Now, you developed, even as your professional career went, you had some fantastic seasons in the middle of your career. Is there anyone that you worked with that led to that? Not so much. I kind of, my my father, you know, pretty much uh, taught me the game. Uh, I came up in Texas and my dad had played baseball you know, all his life. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And so I just kept working at it, working at it. Uh, didn't really know if I was going to be a baseball player or like I said, a basketball player. I had actually signed a letter of intent to go to the University of Arkansas to play with Nolan Richardson and the Razorbacks. And uh, it was just a situation where I played the game so long and I loved the game and I had an opportunity to go do it professionally. So I just took that opportunity and ran with it. And on a related note, I mean, you're a multi-sport athlete. Your son, multi-sport athlete. Did you want him to choose baseball or no? Well, that was the plan. I mean, um, yeah, uh, that's what um, he had played the most in his life. You know, I thought he was going to be a baseball player ever since he was four years old. I thought he had a chance to be a professional baseball player. But uh, in the end, you know, him playing multiple sports, he ended up falling in love with football his junior year. And, uh, uh, we had a talk on draft day when 
uh, he got drafted that day or they had called him to, to draft him. And he looked me in the eye and said, Dad, I want to try this football thing out. And I said, OK, let's roll with it. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And it's clear that this, the things that you've learned from from your father, I can see it, it's you can see that you've passed them down to your son. If you don't mind sharing with our listeners, what are some of those things that you, you taught your son, I guess, in terms of being an athlete and performing at the highest level? Well, the thing we talked about is that is you got to work. You know, it's, uh, you got to put in the reps. You got to put in the time to be good at it. Uh, also, him being able to grow up in a clubhouse, he was able to um, see the work ethic of, of other guys on the team and what it took to uh, be one of the best and to stay being one of the best. And I, he also was privy to see how to become a professional, you know, how to be a professional. And he ended up, you know, getting lucky, you know, he ended up going to a good situation there in Kansas City. And he had a guy that was in front of him that was playing ahead of him that kind of took him under his wings and also showed him how to be a professional quarterback. And so he was blessed by uh, being able to, to see these things at a very young age and, and understanding what it took to be, become a professional athlete and how to be a professional athlete. That's awesome. Yeah. You've got to, you're always going to put the work in. You're going to put in the thousand hours and, and the results will come, I'm sure. I guess Patrick's in a, a unique position because he's part owner of a baseball team now. And have you had any words with him about the lockout situation? No, I haven't really talked to him about it. Uh, I think right now he's he's more focused on his main job right now. Um, you know, they they had a you know a rough patch they're starting. They're trying to work their way out of it. So I know he's 100% focused on football right now. And then once, you know, that's done, then he'll probably um, – start focusing a little bit more on the baseball part of it, but I'm sure they're keeping him abreast and he knows what's going on. And he just has to uh, sit back and let the negotiations uh, do what they do. There we go. And yes, the the football season, it's getting to the, the exciting time of the regular season, getting to the business end. Do you get out to the games often? I go to all the home games. I try to make a few of them on the road. Uh, me and my wife, Tricia, they actually come – fly us from Tyler up to Kansas City every home game. So we're fortunate enough to go see all those. And then I'll sneak out on the road when he needs me to come to certain places and kind of make sure things don't get out of hand with, the, you know, his fiance and, and, and my middle son. So I'm able to see probably between 10 to 12 ball games a year. So I consider myself lucky. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's more than lucky, man. I'd love to see two games a year. Unfortunately, we live in Canada, and there's a COVID situation, so it's just not happening. And there's and the CFL. <laughs> you know, there's the CFL. Yeah, let's let's just leave that one aside. Be sure to join the Pro Sports Podcasters Facebook group, where you will be able to interact with the hosts and talk to other sports fans. Now back to the show. Uh, Pat, you played under a lot of different managers. Was there anyone that you felt was just the best? Uh, Bobby Valentine. Yeah. I really enjoyed playing for him. To me, he was a player's manager who put, you know, all the guys in a situation in which they could succeed. He had a lot of confidence in me. He let me, you know, play the game like I wanted to play the game. And um, 
he always won. You know, uh, he always gave us a chance to win. I think guys really, really performed for him. I know a lot of guys didn't like him, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, he's one of the best managers out there. Right on. And you spent some time in the minor leagues. We've had other major league players on our show. They had a lot of negative things to say about the minor leagues. How do you sort of paint a picture of of what goes on there? Well, it's just a a step, you know, another step on the way to your dream. I mean, you have to go through it. There's only been a couple of people that were fortunate enough to, you know, come either out of college and uh, go straight to the pros, but it doesn't happen very often. It's just like anything else. I mean, you have to go to college, you know, to become a doctor, you know, it's just, uh, just another step along the way. It's tough. Uh, you have to have a, a certain mentality to go through it, you know, riding buses, you know, 12, 14 hours, you know, eating at gas stations and, and McDonald's every day and peanut butter and jelly and doing all that stuff. But I mean, it's just another thing that makes you stronger. So once you get to the big leagues, you've seen a lot. You've been through adverse situations. And I think it's just a, a building block to make you successful in the big leagues. No, it's good to hear. We've heard so much negative to actually hear someone just say it's a stepping stone and it's something you got to go through to get there. That's that's a new take, to be honest. Well, I mean, just the way I feel. I mean, um, I didn't go through some of the stuff that uh, I went through in the minor leagues. I wouldn't have been prepared for that once I got to the big leagues. Yeah, and just staying with the big leagues, your former team, the Mets, just before we, we went into a lockout situation, they they made a bit of a splash in the pitching department. They signed Matt Scherzer out of free agency from the, the Dodgers. So now they got Scherzer, who's a, a guy who can win games. He won the World Series with the Nationals. He's right next to J- Jacob deGrom in the rotation. How do you see the Mets looking in 2022 when we get baseball back? Well, I think they're they're getting back on track. Uh, they're, they're making the moves I think that they need to make to uh, have a chance to go out there and make a splash. Of course, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres, and they're going to all have good teams. So to have a chance that you know that you got two guys at the top that can that can win a ball game every time they go out there, that's a, a big step in the right direction. Now you just got to fill in the other parts and uh, try to get everybody on board and get that chemistry going. And hopefully they can be the amazing Mets again. There we go. Cause yeah, I, it's good for baseball and the Mets are doing well, right? It's, yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Anytime, anytime a big market team is, yep. is playing well, it makes the game more exciting for everybody. You know, you want the New Yorks, you want the Los Angeles, uh, you want Florida and you want all those places with big markets. You want them to have a, good ball club because it just makes everything else better for even the smaller market teams. There we go. And one day the Yankees will be back in the, in the series. One day. I can dream, right? Well, the, Yankees, <laughs> the Yankees aren't far away. It's just, it's just a little hump that they haven't been able to get over. So uh, the Yankees are the Yankees. You know, they're going to they're gonna get to the playoffs every year now. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get to that next step. Less analytics. <laughs> Oh, I would agree with that. Yeah, wholeheartedly. <laughs> put put this put this sheet away for a few games. Just let let um let Aaron Boone go with his gut and some calls. <laughs> I like to see uh, definitely. that. Definitely, he played he played in old school, so I'm I'm pretty sure he knows how to do that. Right. Riddle me this, Pat. What's your take on guys who have played or become managers as opposed to guys who have, I guess, come through the analytics route or managers? Who who do you think's better positioned in your opinion 
go with the guys that have played. I mean, they've played the game. They know what it takes to to command the clubhouse. They've been in the clubhouse. They've seen what it's like. They know what, you know, the guys that they're managing are thinking. And then I also think that if I'm a player, I want to play for somebody who's been through some of the same stuff that I'm getting ready to go through and, and knows how to navigate it as far as a guy that pretty much learned the game, you know, reading a book or looking at a computer that has never played the game and doesn't know, you know, what it feels like to be in that clubhouse, to, to be in the dugout, to be on the field and to um, have 24 other guys out there with you and you're all pulling for the same goal. I mean, you definitely go with a guy that has played and, and has had those same goals. There we go. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome. I I gotta ask you, you you've played for a number of different clubs, but out, outside of even baseball, are you a particular fan, like a fanatic for any teams or organizations, any sport? I'm a big KC Chiefs fan. Uh, I don't know the reason why, but I just think <laughs> like uh, that they play football. But uh, not really. Um, I'm a big Chiefs fan, and, and growing up, I was always a big Dallas Cowboy fan, and I'm still a Cowboy fan at heart. Okay. A couple of weeks ago when they played the Chiefs, you know, that was a tough game for me, but it, at least I knew the outcome. I was going to be happy one way or the other. So, you know, I'm a big fan of that. I'm, I'm also a big fan of basketball. I don't have a particular team that I root for. Okay. I guess you would say the Mavericks probably being I'm from Texas, but I, you know, I kind of root for players and I root for, for good basketball. You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, eager to see, you know, two teams go out and battle and, and showcase their skills. So not a certain team that I'm, I'm really crazy about in basketball, but I do watch that more than I watch baseball. You know, I watch football and basketball a lot more. Okay. And it, it's actually interesting that you say you're more of a fan of the player than the team when it comes to basketball, because we've heard that from a lot of people specifically with that sport. Do you see that happening maybe in the future with baseball or football, or is it still going to be more of a team-based fan base? Well, I think baseball, you have to be more more team-based. I think the reason why I'm not a fan of a particular team in basketball is because of the forming of these super teams. I don't, I'm not really a fan of that. Okay. I think that a fan base can't really get behind just one team when the players are changing, you know, every year, you know, uh, back then when they played basketball teams were together for, you know, six to 10, you know, 10 years you know, playing together the same team. You knew when you went to the stadium who you was going to see. You didn't have to look in the program to figure out who number 24 <laughs> was or, or whatever. So that's why I'm a, more of a fan of, of individual players than I am of a team. Yeah, I, honestly, I think that's actually why I got away from being really a fan of, of the NBA is because of those super team formations that started happening year in, year out. It just, I don't know, I'm more of a fan-based fan of a particular team, so... It was difficult for me to stay interested. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I have my team in the NFL. It's the 49ers. But okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also like players. Like, I, I, I like to watch Peyton Manning play. I like to watch guys on the defensive end um, get get things done. So I, I get it. Sometimes we like to see certain players in their craft. I loved watching a certain closers come out and do their thing. In, in baseball, I, I love watching relief pitching. Well, I think 
I think it's going to, you know, it's going to be in this fantasy sports driven world. You know, it's hard to root for a team when you got players on every team, you know, so that makes it tough. I mean, only the true, true diehard football fans are going to have their team, but everybody else is kind of switching the TV, you know, getting a red, a red zone channel to try to see who scored a touchdown, who, who didn't score a touchdown and see how many fantasy points they can get. So that kind of, that has a, a role in, in that too. Exactly. That's a really good point, actually. And that's growing as well. You got daily fantasy. I, I know you're in Texas, so, so betting is not really a thing, but it's starting to happen in other states as well. Now, who are some of the players you like to watch in the NBA? Well, I mean, I, I like a lot. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big, big fan of, of LeBron. I like LeBron a lot. I like Kevin Durant, even though he's made some, some shady moves, you know, but I like, you know, to watch his game, you know, his game is, is beautiful. I mean, to me, he's the, the best player in the NBA right now. And then some of the younger guys, you know, John Morant, I actually like, uh, LaMelo Ball a lot. I like, uh, guys that, that really bring excitement to the game. Luka Doncic, you know, guys that can do a multitude of things and, look like they're out there trying to play and, and do whatever they can to give their team the best chance to win. There we go. Have you seen much of Scotty Bonds lately? Of who? Scotty Bonds. He's the, the rookie for the Raptors. I actually haven't seen a lot of the Raptors this year. Um, I haven't really watched as much basketball as I normally do. Uh, I actually coach uh, baseball. You know, I have an academy, and I've, and we ha- actually have – a lot of practices, a lot of games, you know, it's it's a lot involved in that. So by the time I get home and basketball is on, I'm pretty tired. So I end up going to bed or, or watching the highlights. But I haven't actually got to see, you know, a bunch of different teams play complete and full games. Fair enough. Tell us more about the academy. That's interesting. Uh, I just got a – I have a 13U team and a 14U team that plays during the spring. And then um, once summer starts, I have a couple more high school teams that, that play. But I'm always been a big fan of giving back, you know, to the kids and hopefully, you know, teaching them some stuff that I went through. So maybe when it comes, when they get their opportunity, they're more prepared to deal with it than I was. I actually played my first year of professional ball. I was 17 years old and I didn't know a whole lot. And so – my job is to try to to give back as much as I can possible so that they'll have an, an opportunity to, uh, you know, get a chance to go to college where maybe they can get an education if they don't make it to pro ball or if they're good enough to become a pro out of high school that maybe they won't have to go through some of the trials and tribulations that I went through, you know, trying to make it to the big leagues. And we all know that it's, you know, it's a long shot to make it to the big leagues, but if I can help, some kids, you know, have an opportunity to to go to college and get a chance to get an education and try to teach them how to be better men, then, you know, it's all worth it. Yeah. No, that's a really good message because I guess that's one thing. Athletes like yourself, you know how to overcome adversity. So those skills that you've learned on the field, on the diamond, that's that's life skills right there. You can overcome anything in a way. Well, we do something called the Hank Aaron Invitational every year. It's in Vero Beach. Um, the first week is 
13 to, to 15 year olds and we bring in 200 kids mostly from the inner city you know trying to get uh, more people of color back into the game and then the the second week we bring uh 10th grade through 12th grade we bring in another 200 guys uh we have all professional coaches you know eric davis me uh ken griffey jr uh, lenny webster you know all these guys uh, all professional coaching staff and and uh we have the college recruiters come in and talk to them about how to you know to, to prepare to get themselves ready to go to college uh we have uh some former ball players come in and speak to them on you know about what it takes to you know have a chance and or opportunity to play professional sports and uh we give a lot of time back you know to these kids trying to keep them interested in in something and and keep them focused and try to take what we call the raw tag off of them where they really don't know how to play the game but they're very talented and so this you know this college guy could say we're not taking him because he's raw we're trying to take that tag off of them so they have the same opportunity as everybody else I love that. I love that. Because, yeah, you mentioned that, you know, you're trying to get more people of color into the game. How do we get to where we are now? Well, I just think that, like I said, you know, talking about, you know, like we was talking about the minor leagues, you know, them building building blocks. Well, to me, this is a building block for them. I mean, uh, if you bring them out from all over the United States or even had some from Puerto Rico and uh, – other places you bring all them in and most of the times at their high school there's maybe one or two black people playing baseball and and they don't get to see it but when you bring them in you see uh 199 other kids that look like you that are busting their butts and playing the game and you realize that you're not on an island out there that there are other people playing the game that I think it inspires them to go back and to be that much better knowing that, you know, if I play this game the way it's supposed to be played, I might have an opportunity to go to college or to play professional sports. Awesome. Yeah. How long has this been in effect? How long have you been running this? Well, uh, this is probably my sixth year. I think it's been going on for about nine years. We also have, you know, other camps. I mean, it's actually called the Breakthrough Series. We do different places. We we go to Compton, California. Um, we go to um, Kansas City, where the, where the Negro League uh, Museum is. Cincinnati, we've been to a couple of places in Florida. You know, we try to spread it out so we can bring people from all different parts of the of the United States and join them together and give them opportunity to uh, to compete and play and, and learn, you know, from some of the best. Now, is it sort of set up as a one-time opportunity, or do they get to sort of reach back and talk to mentors or such as they progress? Well, what we do is we evaluate them. We, we give them a full evaluation after the camp is over of what we've seen and what they need to work on and stuff. We also give them our phone number so that um, – you know, they're able to reach out to us if they have any questions. Uh, some of the kids have been in the program as long as I have. I mean, um, you, there's opportunity to come back and, you know, as long as you're, you're going about it the right way, you know, um, you don't want to leave anybody behind. And the guys that are out there working and grinding, you know, for that time that are really showing promise that we try to keep them abreast because you never know how a kid's going to develop. I mean, you might see a kid and he's 
He's 5'4 and 130 pounds, but you can tell he can play the game, but he's just not strong enough right now. You don't know what that kid's going to be in three years. Three years, he might be six foot one, you know, 200 pounds and, and knocking the cover off the baseball. So it's more of a developmental type thing where we try to keep you in the program and keep you inter- interested as long as we can. And then you never know what's going to happen. Have you seen any of them go on to college and do well? Oh, yeah. We've had several guys uh, going to college. I think last year we had uh, 95% of the seniors, they went to college, and we had uh, actually had 42 guys drafted into professional baseball. So we feel like it's definitely working. We're we're moving in the right direction, and now it's just a matter of, of taking it to the next level and keeping it going. Yeah, that's excellent, Pat. Well done, man. Well done. Well, thank you. Is there a website or a social media where we can follow the progress of your academy and, and these programs? Well, on Instagram, is it's that MLB develops is actually what it's called. And um, like I said, the name of it is the Breakthrough Series. You can, you can Google it and uh, it actually, you know, shows, you know, where the next camps are and shows some of the things we're doing. But the MLB develops, you'll see a lot of, of game action. You'll see a lot of the kids. Uh, you'll see when they commit to different colleges and stuff like that, or if they're drafted or all that. So that's kind of the way that they follow. But, you know, I get calls from kids that I've coached all the time, you know, that, you know, may go to college and call back and and send me a tape and let me evaluate the tape and see if I see anything that they're doing wrong or, or if I have any suggestions or anything that I can give them. So it's just a fun little thing, especially when you get to see these kids, you know, like say go off and, and play college ball and you see the success they're having. I mean, and the way their eyes light up, you know, having the opportunity to go out and play a game that they love to play. For sure. And have you had many kids from Canada get involved? Uh, we've actually had a few kids from Canada, uh, you know, right. over there. Yeah. And they've been there and been some good baseball players. So, this, like I said, it's all over. So we're trying to bring, you know, these guys in. Most of these guys are recommended by either a college recruiter or, or a professional scout or guys like me that have uh, programs that you see kids that are, that are hungry and deserve a chance to get out there. And we recommend them and give them the opportunity to go. Um, they don't have to pay anything. Everything is free. They fly them in. They house them at, at uh, Dodger Town, old Dodger Town, which uh, MLB is bought now. And that's called the Jackie Robinson Complex. So they house them there. They feed them three times a day. We practice in the morning. We play games in the evening. So it's just a really, really unique and, and great experience for the kids. And uh, I think it opens a lot of eyes and, and make those kids a lot make them a little bit more hungry to go out and try to have success. That's beautiful. And I love that there's the Hank Aaron Invitational. Hank, yep. you know, Hank is going to be missed. And on my table, I have a bowl sign by him, so I'm looking at that every day. He really plays a trail for, in the game, as well as Jackie. So it's it's awesome that his name lives on like that. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to take two teams up there, and we played a game and SunTrust in Atlanta on, on Hank Aaron weekend there at the ballpark. And uh, those kids got a chance to play on a big league field and have some fans there watch them before the Braves actually played after us that night. And uh, I know it was outstanding. That's beautiful. Thanks, Pat. We appreciate you. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, man, that was an awesome talk. 
If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet. Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.